Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he has revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, I'm your host, and we are continuing our trek in the Song of Solomon. And if you are paying attention to uh, the liturgical calendar at all, on this episode we'll be releasing in time for Palm Sunday. And so this is generally, um, in church tradition, this is when... Um, the church commemorates the the last ride into Jerusalem of Christ, leading up to his his death. And so, usually, um, what Bread of the Word has done in past years is um, gone to the Psalms and considered um, um, the Messianic content of the Psalms. Um, we did that last year because we were walk, walking through Romans. And when we got to Palm Sunday... Um, and Easter, we're in Romans 13, so it was a little difficult to exposit the death and resurrection of Christ from submit to the governing authorities. But that that problem does not um, exist here in Song of Solomon. Honestly, it fits beautifully into the idea of the coming of Christ in the flesh, the, the incarnation, and the beauty of the coming of Christ. So... We will continue through Song of Solomon through the, the Easter holiday season. So today we are going to cover verses 8 through 10. And then we will um, continue through chapter 2, um, Resurrection Sunday as well. But uh, verses 8, 9, and 10 says, Listen, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes. Leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. See, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My love calls to me. So not much there, um, but there is a lot in it. And one of the fascinating things with this text is the amount of Isaiah in it, the amount of Messianic Isaiah statements that are built into this passage. And this passage was written before Isaiah, so this isn't influenced by Isaiah. But perhaps more accurately, Isaiah is saying things through the leading of the Holy Spirit that parallels with what God has revealed through Solomon. And that's important. But first and foremost, my love is approaching. Here he comes, leaping over the mountains. I have poured over this text, and I have 
pace this room, walking back and forth, thinking, what is this? What What is going on here? And the best way I could grapple with it, um, and honestly, I'm in agreement with Matthew Henry, John Gale, and Charles Spurgeon, that this is a picture of, of Christ. Um, from our perspective, looking on, on the first coming, but in the time that it was said, this is a promise of the coming of the Messiah in the flesh. He is coming over the mountains, and he is bounding over the hills. This is this is the backdrop here. That Christ is coming. One of the interesting things in chapter one of Song of Solomon is that the woman who is um, the type of the church is longing to be with her husband, who is Christ, and they are they are apart, and she is longing to be with him, but they're apart. And then chapter two begins with language implying that they are together. But now the scene seems to change, and now they are apart again, but he is coming. And I, I think this makes the most sense when seen in the context that this is Christ coming to earth. This is a picture of the condescension. He is leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. Well, in order to go over the mountains, you have to be higher than the mountains. That's like a well-duh statement. Um... But really, this, I think, is the poetic description here, is that he is coming from higher than the mountains, that he is coming down the mountains. Isaiah 9 says, Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. Christ was given for us. He was given to us. Not in the sense that we that he was not complicit in it, not in the sense that he didn't consent or anything, but God God came to us. God came down the mountain. Um, many, every other religion, every other um, idea of God, of different deities, Buddhism, Hindu, Shinto, fill in the blank, is centered around this idea of how man can ascend the mountain and come to God. How man can keep a, a list of things to do. And maybe earn approval. Maybe be rewarded for his diligence. But the Bible tells the story of how God came down the mountain and came to us. Of how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. And it says the government shall be on his shoulders. And he shall be called wonderful counselor the everlasting father the mighty god with us and the prince of peace this is the beloved a song of solomon the and that word beloved that has a strong intimate word um the word is dod and we talked about yada a couple a couple weeks ago which is the verb love um or to know to know someone intimately, to know someone truly and deeply. But here we have love as a noun. Um, my love, my beloved, my God. And that is a that is a term the church woman uses in reference to Christ three times in these three verses. That it is anchored in the reality that this is my beloved. And he is coming. 
he is like a gazelle or a young stag. And we talked about gazelles last week. Um, I charge you by the gazelles in the wild does of the field. Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. I believe that is a picture of judgment, of judgment day. And do not disturb Christ before judgment day. Do not stir up his wrath, his, his justice. And so we've seen this picture of Christ being related to a to a to an animal and not just any animal but something frail something sensitive something pure and that brings us to Isaiah 53 which describes him as a sheep led away to slaughter he was silent before his accusers he was like a sheep led away led astray and that's a different animal but the same imagery applies this this weak animal this this frail animal and so the Christ who comes down the mountain is like a frail animal not because he was impotent not because he was weak or unable to do what we thought he should do it's not because Christ was just this little weakling this is part of what he came to do it says in Philippians 2 Adopt the same attitude, that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So he comes down the mountain, and he is like an he is like a frail animal. He is something delicate. He is something unimpressive. He's not a bold lion. In reality, while he is still the lion of Judah, in terms of how he communicated himself to the people in the New Testament, he did not do so as a bold lion, but as a humble shepherd, as a homeless man. says he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground and he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him nor appearance that we should desire him but he was despised and rejected by men a man of suffering who knew what sickness was he was like someone people turned away from he was despised and we did not value him that is the beloved who is like the gazelle or the young stag that he comes down the mountain but he does so not as the the brave bold warrior who is coming to conquer he doesn't come carrying weapons he comes as he comes as as, as a servant he comes as as a sacrifice he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep, and we all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. 
like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. That's a different picture than how we would think God would enter human history, wouldn't it be? The reality is, this is the scandal of Christianity, is that it doesn't make a good movie. It doesn't bolster our ego and our pride. The reality is, this is not like the other religions. This is not like the grand crescendo we, we would write. The reason there are so many people that believe this is not because it's believable, but because it's true. Christ died for sinners. He came down the mountain and offered his life up for the sheep who went astray. He took the form of something weak, something low, but also something pure. Something pure, something undefiled, something gracious as a gazelle or a sheep. Something that is not marked by sin. A gazelle, in Levitical law, is a ceremonial clean animal. They, these were, these weren't like pigs. They were The Jews were forbidden to eat pigs, but there are several instances in Scripture, um, in Deuteronomy 12 even, that describe consuming clean animals just as they do the gazelles. Gazelles were, by nature, a clean animal. <clears throat> and so, as, as our substitute, Christ is offered as a clean animal for sacrifice. He is offered in our place to atone for our sins, to bear our sins in his body. As it says in Isaiah, my love is like a gazelle or a young stag. See, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. So he's coming, but there's also a there's a house. There's there's a dwelling place where he he looks upon his bride looks through the windows, through the lattice. He is standing behind our wall. It's not behind his wall. It is behind our wall. The significance of that is that this is this is where we go. This is where he is bringing us to. He brought me into the banquet hall and he looked on me with love or his banner over me was love. Isaiah 49 says, Look, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Of course, this is in part a picture of the building of the temple, of the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem. But more than that, it is a picture of, again, a picture of the sufferings of Christ. And it's tied to the building of the people of God 
the building of the dwelling place of God with humanity. And it's not the temple, it's not the church. It will be when God makes all things new. And the beauty of this is that when he makes all things new, we will still be there. Why? Because he accomplished that on the cross. And he died for sin. He offered himself, it says, as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And so he is standing behind our wall. This is where we go because he has loved us with an everlasting love. We know God's love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So he stands behind the wall and he gazes through the window. He peers through the light as he his eye is ever fixed upon us. Because we are his. Because we are his. There's so much gravity in that. It says in, it says in the one of the, one of Paul's letters to Corinth that we are the temple, that the Spirit of God dwelleth within us. And again, there is so much packed in that that we who were not worthy to be in the temple have been made the temple. That it's not. That we don't have to go to a building made of stone to commune with God. But God has brought communion to us. And that's not negating the church, negating the assembly of the people of God. But the idea is that communion is not tied to the building. Communion is tied to God. That there is union and communion with God. That just as the church woman longed to be with her husband... So we long to be with our God. And having been purchased by his blood, that is accomplished to where we have communion with God wherever we go. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. That's Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I flee from your sight? The answer is you can't. (laughs) Because Christ has purchased us. That while we were in bondage to sin, while we were estranged from our Creator, Christ the, the perfect lamb, the pure gazelle, came down the mountain. It says he bounded over the mountain. He came with all the force and vigor from his desire to be reconciled to his bride. He loved us while we did not love him. and He gave himself for us. 
And so he looks, he stands behind the wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice upon his bride that he has paid for. And it says, My love calls to me. Arise, my darling. Come away, my beautiful one. Christ beckons to the sinner to come. We are his. Christ has died and Christ has been risen. Because we are his. He paid for he paid for us with his blood. And all that we have and all that we are is tied to who he is. That he is our beloved. And we are his beloved. And so he beckons us to arise, to come away, to forsake this world, to forsake all that this world says we are and says that we should do, and, and beckons us to behold the face of Christ, to hear his voice and see his face. Because he calls. And as John Gale once put it, we may learn that the that Christ's voice may be heard before he is seen. Christ calls. And we eventually will see him. Eventually we will see his face. But first we hear his voice. He calls us as his own. He calls us as as his children, as sons and daughters. There's a beautiful statement in the Heidelberg Catechism. This is, What is thy only comfort in life and death? Part of the answer. That I am, that my life, in body and in soul, is not my own. But I fully belong to my Savior. Who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the theme of the Song of Solomon, is the Christ who gave himself for us. He bounded over the mountains, he came down the hills, took the form of man, took the form of something frail and vulnerable, and he paid the penalty for our sins, that we would be brought into his banquet house, that the banner over us would not be a banner of war would be a banner of God's love upon us because we are his and as we go into um, this next week ponder that reality that that Christ beckons you come away come away with me thank you for listening this has been the bread of the word podcast Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the Word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.